0: is the Pitchfork Review. I'm Jeremy Larson, the Review's director. On this week's show, we'll be talking about Javelin, the new album written, recorded, engineered, arranged, produced, and mixed by Sufjan Stevens. It's out tomorrow on Sufjan's longtime label, Asthmatic Kitty. Our best new music review is up on the site today, and I am here in a van with my friends to talk about it all. We have associate editor Sam Sadomsky, who wrote our review and Associate Staff Writer Nina Corcoran, who is wearing two baseball caps. <laughs> how are you doing today, friends?
1: Good. Feeling on brand.
0: Yeah. Yes. Sam, how are you doing? What's up? Doing good. Thanks for having me here. Yeah. What kind of energy are you bringing to the Sufyan
2: podcast? Oh, you know, it's like autumn, talking to some friends, drinking
0: coffee, feeling good. Yeah. Nina, what kind of energy are you bringing in here?
1: feel like I'm tapping into all the times I've queued in line to wait to see Sufjan and meeting random people there and then meeting them again at shows. It's fall. It's rainy here. I'm in Chicago, but it feels like a good mood.
0: It hasn't stopped raining for seven days in New York, so we're all kind of <laughs> in that spirit. Nina, you have seen Sufyan a lot, that's correct? Yeah. What is sort of your... <laughs> Formative Sufjan Stevens moment, like the first time you really connected with his music, like on like a deeper spiritual level.
1: Honestly, the thing that stands out the most is the first time I heard Sufjan, which is so funny to me looking back because it was through my mom. And she must have bought songs for Christmas, Sufjan's CD box set of all these Christmas mm-hmm. EPs combined. Mm-hmm. But I remember seeing it laying around. It has very cute art. So I was like, oh, what's this? I love it. I love Christmas. I just remember being so bowled over. Yeah. And from there, I went back to Illinois, Seven Swans, whatever I could find at like (laughs) FYE in the mall. And then I just feel like I fell in love so hard, I ended up teaching myself how to play banjo.
0: Wow. What song did you learn on banjo of his?
1: First one was Seven Swans. It's like an easy start with plucking. Yeah. Yeah. I
0: saw a sign in the sky Sam, how about you? What was your sort of formative experience? I remember
2: Illinois came out in like July 2005 Mm -hmm. and I was at a Jewish summer camp. I was on like music message boards at that time. And in the run up to that album, you would have thought it was going to be like this like huge block. I mean, it was this huge blockbuster, but the anticipation was so intense and... I asked my mom to buy it and send it to me while I was at camp, and it was a really good album to have at summer camp as a kid because there was so much to dig into. And
0: Most kids bring, like, a Pantera album or, like, the Snoop Dogg album. You're like, hey, cool, you can listen to this with all these swear words, and you're like, yeah. check out this concept record about <laughs> Chicago. Yeah.
2: I was an agent for the Gentle Revolution. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs>
0: Your indie darling agenda exactly. was on point. Yeah.
2: The term literary got thrown around a lot, mm-hmm. and with Sufjan, it was like, he was, like, waving the flag for music that was cerebral and ambitious. Right. And I think what he was, like, announcing with that record was, this is a project. Everything is going to be this, like, big, deep dive. The framework was mm-hmm. the crucial argument, and that really spoke to me as, like, a pretentious kid. Yeah. On 100% me. <laughs> yeah, also, speaking of formative memories, I did want to say, like, At an early Sufjan show I went to in 2006 was like when I met my first girlfriend, the first person I ever dated.
0: Did you go together or did you like see her
2: across the room? No, she was sitting behind me. And we didn't talk, but then we like met up on Last FM, which is like might as well have been a Sufyan fan site at the time. Wow. Uh, it's
1: so of the era, too. Yeah. Last FM,
2: it. like 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 Tinder for indie kids in the aughts. Yeah, who lived in small towns. Yeah. yeah. Like I remember one of the first Sufyan lyrics I was really struck by that I, like, I didn't know you could do that in a song. And the song where you keep saying, with your shirt tucked in and your shoes untied, like the way that image keeps coming back, and you start uh-huh. being like, why is he so fixated on that? What does that mean? And then you start thinking about, What that suggests.
0: All the glory when you ran outside
2: with your shirt tucked in and your shoes untied,
0: and you told me not to follow you. I remember in 2005, it was a rainy day in Stevens Point, Wisconsin, and I drove to the Lonely Record store downtown. And I bought the record. And I remember putting that album in the CD player in my car and I was driving to work at a Grazzi's Italian Grill. Grazzi with an apostrophe S, which is how we understood Italian food in north-central Wisconsin at the time. <laughs> I was transfixed from note one, song one, and I just like sat in my car and it was raining, much like it's sort of raining today. And I was kind of late for work because I was just sitting there and I didn't want to turn it off. And I think that initial outpouring of earnesty and ambition and, like Sam said, sort of like literary artifice, like spoke to me very much, I think, especially (laughs) because I was a sophomore in college, but it also especially because I don't think I'd ever heard something that ambitious outside of like prog rock or like in the sort of like indie music that I've been listening to. And so like ever since then, I've been a really big fan of him. Oh, God of progress, have you degraded or forgot us? Where have you? talk about Javelin. If you've sort of like taken a break from Sufjan or caught bits and pieces there and you were coming back to Sufjan now and you put on Javelin, like what are you going to hear?
1: I mean, musically, Javelin's really rich, but not in an overwhelming way. The way some previous albums of his have been very layered and kind of intense in terms of instrumentation, I think it clearly comes straight from the heart. That said, he is tapping into a lot of different eras from his discography. It reminds me... Musically, a lot of all delighted people. Yeah,
0: the 2010 EP, all delighted people. Mm-hmm. The first album that I ever purchased on Bandcamp. Same. <laughs> yeah, Sam. What, when you put on Javelin, like, what are sort of your first impressions as like a longtime Sufjan Stevens listener? I mean,
2: at its core, I think it is one of his more solitary records. The songs they deal with very introspective emotions mm-hmm. and. They are very vulnerable. There's not a lot of proper nouns. Not a lot of proper nouns. Yeah. And when there are the biblical ones, he loves so very much. Yeah. Some of them sound like straight-up breakup songs to me. Some of them sound like songs that are very specifically like seductions or love songs. Some of them feel very explicitly about grief. He always plays with this idea of being a confessional singer-songwriter. Uh-huh. You know, he loves people like Neil Young and Joni Mitchell, but... He writes more like a short story writer where yeah. he kind of wants you to fill in context.
0: There is this tension between Sufjan Steven as this like intimate singer-songwriter who can make you weep at the drop of a hat. You know, you just like hear the plink of his banjo and all of a sudden like your tear ducts start to like shiver in the background. But, <laughs> But I find his music so dense and often like difficult to decipher. And this album to me is all about him processing how he feels about feeling so many things so much all of the time. And I think you hear he's finally trying to dilute it Mm -hmm. and condense it into sort of smaller moments. Yeah. But I still feel the maximalism of his brain, like working overtime constantly. And I feel like this album is trying so hard to not let it run a thousand yards away with some fanciful metaphor or some image that has come into his mind or a very (laughs) long title of a song.
1: I do think a lot of these songs talk about wanting to be loved. Like Sufjan wants that really nurturing, secure feeling of being loved deeply by someone because he describes it in detail over several songs with such a fondness. Like it Mm. feels like he's craving his favorite meal that you've had a lot before and you can't wait to order it, but you're still like, I don't know, on the middle of the road somewhere and can't have it just yet he's so good at those complex feelings that maybe contradict one another, but feeling them simultaneously Yeah, where he might feel lonely and deeply pining for someone or missing them, but also kind of reveling in this Pat's memory of that type of nurturing love feeling that he misses.
0: It's interesting you say that because I feel like a lot of that is wrapped in with his relationship with religion, which has been sort of like the constant, right? Absolutely. And when you have a relationship with religion or, like, a higher power, like, that is a complicated relationship that changes through your entire life. And when you have that as, like, your guidepost that shows up in every single record, I feel Mm -hmm. like that can also inform how complicated you think about your life and the people in your life, you know?
1: Right.
2: Yeah, I kind of think with Sufjan, the key to his work sometimes is that it's less complicated than it's made out to be. Interesting. Which I think would maybe make, like, his closest peer someone like Joanna Newsom where there's like the really ornate architecture of their work and then there's the subjects themselves which are birth and life and death like it's some mm-hmm. of like the most innate things that people think about and worry about and i think like on that note an underrated quality of his music and something he's always been really good at is being romantic and singing about sex and love mm-hmm. and just human nature From day one, the question of his songs would be like, is he singing about a lover or is he singing about Jesus? And like, the answer is yes. Yeah. (laughs) Like, the place his songs come from is just a very open ended question about love and faith. And to me, this record, part of what is so magnetic about it is he does away with a lot of the formal architecture of his records. Like, there's no statement, this record is about this. Mm -hmm. He's not really doing any press about it. More so than anything he's put out, in my memory, it feels like a collection of songs.
0: You said that, you know, he's not doing press for this record. And we should mention that he posted on his Tumblr that he's suffering from Guillain-Barre syndrome. And he's in rehab right now in the hospital, basically learning to walk again, you know. And he says most patients are able to do that in a year. So sending Sufjan all the best from us here. But I think that, you know, that's a an interesting not wrinkle, but just sort of like context to this whole conversation and why he's not doing press around it. I think it, we should move into the biggest song on the album, which is called Will Anybody Ever Love Me? And I remember the first time that I put on this record, when the chorus of this song hits, I, I was just sort of like, oh, we're back, baby. Like, we are <laughs> we are deep into, like, Otz Sufyan Stevens talking very earnestly about an insecurity, a depression, and self-effacing attitude, which sort of, like, drew me to him in the first place. It starts with this gentle acoustic picking, which is, I, I think, like a Pavlovian response. To, Absolutely. <laughs> it, like, or creates a Pavlovian response to anybody who is around in the aughts and, like, listening to that.
2: Because <laughs> I really want to know Will anybody ever love- Without
0: grievance, not
1: for sport.
0: What does that song like evoke for you?
1: I mean, that song's the one I was thinking of when talking about how he's really just wants to feel that love again and can picture those feelings or physical moments and is missing it and kind of feels that gap. But I also, that does remind me that we haven't talked about the backup singers mm. who have such gorgeous voices on this album. And one of them is Adrian Marie Brown, who I definitely did a double take when I was reading the credits because I know her as the writer and activist and she's written the books Emergent Strategy, Pleasure Activism, just a really thorough and vivid writer. But finding out she sang on this was interesting and especially because when reading her quote, you know, some of the singers shared what it was like for them to sing on these songs and what they got out of the experience but she talked about how the first time she sang this song in particular, she started crying and that she was so moved by the questions that Sufjan asks on this record. And I think that type of emotional connection comes through on their take, even if it's not the first one, you know, where she's maybe crying into the microphone.
0: Sam, where are you? I'm back in choirs. Oh, I'm into them. You're into
2: yeah. them. <laughs> yeah, I think the usage works really well in this record. And it's funny, like, I totally know what you mean about, like, the we're back sensation and hearing a song like that, but then when you situate yourself in it, it's kind of like, well, like, what Sufjan song does this really sound like? And the answer is, like, I don't really think he has a precedent for yeah. it, you know? I don't think he'd be able to write a song like that if he didn't do some of the experiments he did with, like, full-on pop music on the last record and some Mm -hmm. of the one-off singles because it really works like a pop song it even has like the kind of quiet verse big chorus and it's this very Sufjan way to get that same effect of a stadium singing along with your song and there is like a kind of stadium quality to it for me that is like one of the subtle novelties of this record is hearing him write in those forms and write those kinds of melodies and There was a quote around after Carrie and Lowell where he was like, I'm thinking less in I and thinking more in we, which can sometimes be like a death knell for a songwriter. Yeah. But for him, I think this record really shows that, where it's like these songs feel communal in a way, and the anxieties and the desires they speak to feels a lot more wide scale in a sense. That feels very pop to me.
1: Hi, I'm Lauren Good. I'm a senior writer at Wired, and I'm co-host of Wired's Gadget Lab, along with Michael Calore.
0: Each week on Gadget Lab, we tackle the biggest questions in the world of technology with reporters from inside the Wired newsroom. We cover everything from personal tech.
1: Because asking people to put a computer on one of the most personal and sensitive parts of your body is just like, it's a big bet.
0: Broader trends in Silicon Valley. There are just so many laid off workers out there that workers just don't have a lot of power in the exciting and terrifying world of AI.
1: It's inevitable that the internet is going to be filled with like AI generated nonsense. And so he just thinks he might as well make some money playing a small part in a thing that he sees as unstoppable. Wired's Gadget Lab is here to keep you informed and to keep it real.
0: The entire point of the phone should be on some level to hate it (laughs) (laughs) new episodes of gadget lab are available weekly wherever you get your podcasts do you think sufian was writing hooks when he was first starting out what's great about this album like he really is sort of trying to write hooks most successfully on will anybody ever love me Mm -hmm. but i also think like so you are tired kind of gets at that too nina you really like that song right
1: I feel like listening to it for the first time, I just had that gut reaction of, oh, man, we're back, but also feeling like he was sharing a lot of himself. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, unless there's an explicit statement or interview, you never actually know if an artist is singing about themselves and their music as opposed to a character. But that said, I do think Javelin's primarily written from Sufyan's perspective because it feels just more intimate arguably than anything else he's done i know carrie and lowell was pretty explicit in examining his childhood and his past but so you are tired is a great example of how javelin lets sufyan do a different type of close-up and one that takes place in the present like it feels like we're inside his head and we can feel his heart beating at the same time so
0: you are
1: tired
2: I think So You Are Tired is like a slow zoom where at the beginning he kind of sets the timeline where he's like the last 14 years and then by the end he's like, so you are tired of even my kiss. Like it's really zooming into like the actual intimacies of a relationship in a way that I agree it does feel newly vulnerable for him even considering how much I know
0: about his very specific childhood. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, right.
0: which is something he's, he's, he's sung about a lot Sometimes, like, circularly, but oftentimes, like, very directly.
1: The 14 years later thing reminded me of this, because All Delighted People came out in 2010. Mm. It's 2023 now, and Mm -hmm. on this new album, we have Genuflecting Ghosts, and on All Delighted People, there was Enchanting Ghosts. And at first, I was like, oh, two ghost songs? Are these related? (laughs) And I think they kind of are, because the first one, Enchanting Ghosts from All Delighted People it's musically just kind of like a layered acoustic song where Sufjan claims that he's kind of changed for the worse as a partner, and he's encouraging his lover or partner to leave him. The ghost in question being kind of the memory of his partner at the start of their relationship, what this person used to be like, as opposed to the person they've grown into in the present and changed into as we all change over time. And it's a pretty song about inevitable change and this kind of strain of desperation cuz he sings i think it's tell me what you saw in me and i'll try to replicate it kind of trying to go back to who he was at the start of a relationship
2: tell me what you saw in me
1: and i'll try to replicate it with a scene and this time genuflecting ghost does what he does best of is this about god or a relationship <laughs> But it similarly starts with a pretty sunny acoustic guitar part. Sufjan sings about giving himself up as a sacrifice and change in that regard. And he's literally kissing the floor, so genuflecting. Mm -hmm. This one almost sounds more like a relationship to God. But, you know, that's always up for interpretation with him. It does kind of feel like a progression of almost being back at that same position again, but maybe this time being more accepting of that place in life.
2: It makes me want to ask, do you find this to be an uplifting record or like a spiritually like depleting record? Because I find it to actually be kind of uplifting in the context of his
0: catalog. And that was sort of a relief to hear. Yeah. Yeah. I find it sort of like musically very uplifting. The blessing and the curse of Sufjan Stevens is that so much of his work is in conversation with itself, which makes it such a fun like cosmology to think about, right? Mm-hmm. Is that like, oh, like this song, how does it sort of relate back to this song? Or like, how have we seen him change from one album to the next? Is he growing as a person? Is he backsliding? And as fans of his music, we also grow and change with him. And this is a songwriter who's so closely interrogating his feelings mm-hmm. and never wants to let himself off the hook for anything that he's feeling. And it's sort of his job as a songwriter to try to, like, detail all of that. And so, like, his his corpus, his entire discography becomes very insular, right? Which is really fun when you're inside of it, but I also feel that, like, can be impenetrable if you're just sort of maybe coming to this album being like, I really like Sufjan. Like, look, let's see where he's at now. It's like, whew, okay. It can be very imposing to sort of want to come to that level of, like, emotional honesty and emotional rigor that he's bringing to this.
1: Right. I do think that this record feels like unintentionally cherry-picked homages to all these different eras from Sufjan's discography that Mm -hmm. actually makes it really accessible. I think maybe his most accessible record in that it feels like there's a little bit of everything he's ever done. So someone who has listened at some point in the past, whether it's a long time ago or recently, will find a song or two they like. Someone who maybe didn't enjoy Sufjan early on, because they're like, this is too folky. I hate banjo. Like, this is too cloying for me. There's going to be a lot that doesn't sound like that.
2: It's kind of hard for me to imagine someone who's, like, predisposed to Sufjan's music listening to this and being like, I gotta tap out, you know? Like (laughs) I (laughs) think. It sounds very current, and it sounds very inspired, and you know I think some of that is intentional. Like in between, with all his side projects and stuff, he puts out like a lot of ambient music and a lot of collaborations. But on his own records, like these big ticket singer songwriter records, I think he tries to have it be, you know, for the casual listener, someone who maybe isn't invested in the whole sufjan universe, but. I think an interesting parallel there is Neil Young, who's someone he's always been really inspired by and someone who he covers on this record. And of all the Neil Young songs to pick, <laughs> he picks like a kind of maligned Neil Young song, which is the super over the top orchestral song that closes out Neil Young's like biggest blockbuster record.
0: It's interesting because there's a world I would say maybe is one of the most hopeful. I, I don't know, a positive Neil Young song. I think yeah. there is a a patina of happiness around it, which is interesting that he chose to arrange it with this like grand sweeping, For like sure. chaotic thing, and then the fact that Sufjan was like, mm, this is the one, this is the Neil Young song. <laughs> well, he covered
2: do. it on um, the Carrie and Lowell tour, and he would talk about being really moved by the version that's on like the Live at Massey Hall album that's just piano and vocals. Yeah, And even at that show, Sufjan was like, this is like probably the worst song on Harvest, but it's still better than anything I'll write, which is typical self-deprecating Suf.
0: Are there any other thoughts on Javelin before we move on? Are you any guys anything else you wanted to say about this record?
1: I mean, I do want to just address that there's a song called Shit Talk, Mm. which is incredible that it's called that. And that he, you know, says no more talking shit in his little whispery voice. Mm -hmm. But that song's eight minutes, eight and a half minutes. It feels kind of like a movie scene to me or something, the way that it unfolds. Especially it ends with like two minutes of kind of drone synth that comes in waves and he filters his voice over it. It turns into a really tranquil almost numbing, eerie yeah. ending that I love. That's a good example, I think, of how even if he's going big on this record, I do think it's a bit more subdued and pretty and less jarring of like, what if I try to do this massive long song that goes through these different genres and modes? I think it feels a little more delicate and nuanced in how he's handling it. Sam? Sam? Parting thoughts on
0: Javelin?
2: I want to shout out that song, My Red Little Fox. I think it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. I love when he says, kiss me like the wind.
0: Mm Yeah, I love on that song where he says, my love, my queen, my bro can dreams. Come save me, (laughs) kiss me like the wind. It's good use of enjambment.
1: (laughs) That also does remind me just super quickly in the booklet that comes with the album, the very end of his last essay. I thought it was so cute. He's talking about like alien abduction, kind of, and being transformed and rebirth.
0: Being sprayed with foam and returning to the natal state.
1: But then he says, you know, I was born again in fullness and truth. I was a peanut. I was a pretzel. I was a pan-fried shrimp, (laughs) (laughs) which is so
2: cute. So cute. I loved it. Old twee habits never die. (laughs) Sometimes you're just a peanut. That would have been my bio on Last
1: FM. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. I was a pan-fried shrimp. The Oscars are almost upon us, which means now is the time to start catching up on all of the buzz from this year's award season. I'm Katie Rich. I'm one of the hosts of Vanity Fair's Little Gold Men podcast. Every week, we cover the ups and downs of the Oscar race, from Barbenheimer to the Golden Globes controversy, and much more. We also have weekly interviews with some of the year's biggest contenders, like Emma Stone, I mean, that's how you know you really love and trust and respect someone—is that we can absolutely fight. Paul Giamatti. It's like holy, f- <laughs> he just nailed this f- out of that. Sorry. <laughs> and America Ferrera. It's like yeah. people standing around for hours just waiting to like be a part of this cultural moment. Whether you're a Hollywood insider or just want to win your office's Oscar pool, listen to Little Gold Men, available on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening now.
0: So I asked you both to bring some of your favorite Sufjan Stevens deep cuts. Let's start with Nina. You're gonna go deep, and I feel like we're gonna get slow, slowly shallower as we go up the up the chain. Wow. I
1: will commit to going deep. Shallow only in
0: this metaphor, not in the pejorative sense.
1: My deep cut is that was the worst Christmas ever from Songs for Christmas. That was like the first song of his I heard, and I have such a soft spot for. Yeah, it's a really dark Christmas song that's beautiful. Makes good use of banjo.
2: Our father yells, throwing the gifts in the. My sister runs away taking her books to the
0: schoolyard. So Amazing. Thank you for sharing. Sam.
2: I wanna give a shout out to his most recent singer-songwriter thing, which was this record he made with the songwriter Angelo de Augustine. Yeah. It came out in 2021 and <laughs> their voices are so similar <laughs> that mm-hmm. the way like Sufjan layers his harmonies, which is also like an underrated quality of Sufjan. He's so good at vocal arrangements in mm. like an almost D'Angelo way. I would be hard-pressed to pick out the different harmonies that are happening because they're all so close and they're so well-mixed. Mm-hmm. Anyway, really beautiful record. Every song is about a movie, and they range from, like, Bring It On Again, like one of the Bring It On sequels, to, yeah. like, Hellraiser 3.
0: Point Break, Two, right? Totally, yeah.
2: yeah. yeah. Uh, my favorite song on that record is Lady Macbeth and Chains, which has this really gorgeous, like, either-or, New Moon, Elliot Smith kind of mm-hmm. levity to it.
0: Drunk like a... Ocean the
2: deep. Get the tree.
0: This, I believe, is an actual deep cut. There was a Joni Mitchell tribute album from 2007, and it opens with Sufian covering Free Man in Paris which is a very ornate, kind of his own interpretation of it. Not an easy song to cover and certainly not one of the more popular Joni Mitchell songs that are covered, but he does a very Sufjan version of Free Man in Paris. He poured his heart into that song, and I think it's a wonderful ode to Joni and I think very much in consonance with the work that he was doing and is doing.
2: I was a free.
0: guys. Thank you so much. I feel like we have been in a van with our friends talking about Sufyan and Javelin. Read Sam's review on the site. Yeah, read it.
2: <laughs> Can you do it again and say Sam's devastatingly beautiful <laughs> review of <laughs> Javelin? Hauntingly beautiful
0: <laughs> review. <laughs> Nina, thank you for being a scholar, a fact-checking cause. Appreciate it.
1: Stoked to talk about Sufyan. Love any opportunity to.
0: Yeah, let's do it again. The Pitchfork Review is a production of Condé Nast Entertainment. Mark Yoshizumi, Elia Einhorn, and Katie Lau at 3DB are our producers. Ryan Domble is our showrunner. Jessica Grimuglia is our music supervisor. In addition to Sam's review, you can read more than a dozen Sufjan Stevens' reviews on Pitchfork.com. I'm Jeremy Larson. Thanks for listening.